uh, about 140 million people um, shopped over Thanksgiving holiday weekend. These are statistics according to the National Retail Federation. 140 million people. Uh, Macy's opened on Thanksgiving for the first time this year in New York City at their flagship Herald Square store. Uh, 15,000 people waited for their APM opening. 15,000 people. Wonder what that line looked like. Uh, next, please. Consumers spent $1 billion in one day. Next slide, please. Consumers spent $57.4 billion over Black Friday weekend. Um, on the average, uh, consumers spent about $407.02. Okay? Uh, next slide, please. Some of you guys have seen this. From 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Black Friday, Walmart processed more than 10 million register transactions from about 22 million people that visited their stores, while Walmart.com processed nearly 400 million pages. Page views on Thanksgiving Day. Next slide, please. Top sellers across were big screen TV, iPad, mini laptops, Xbox One, PS4, Call of Duty Ghosts. Along with that, 2.8 million tiles were sold, 2 million television sets, 1.4 million tablets, 300,000 bicycles, and 1.9 million dolls. Next slide. The National Retail Federation expects sales to be up 3.9% to $602 billion for the next two months. Just to give you perspective what that is, um, that would be uh, exceed the gross domestic product of the country of Poland for one year. And it also tops the GDP of Czech Republic, Ukraine, and Slovenia combined. Two months. Um, maybe this is the reason why Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. By the contrary to popular sort of opinion beliefs, Jesus talked about heaven and hell quite a bit. Maybe this is the reason why um, Jesus talked about money more than any other subject outside of the kingdom, kingdom of God, which we've been going through in Matthew 5 and 7. This may be the reason why 11 out of 39 parables in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about money and possessions. And lastly, one out of every seven verses in the book of Luke talk about money and possessions. Um, I don't like talking about preaching about money because, and I say this all the time, if I preached about money as much as Jesus did, nobody would come to church. But it is an incredibly important topic to talk about, and not for the reasons that you think. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, <clears throat> it says, When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first, first to his disciples. And the setting is really important because Jesus is about to speak to his disciples, that is, those who profess to follow him about money. But every time he talks about money, he does it so that the crowd, that is, those who are sort of checking him out, interested, could overhear. 
The setting is very important. Every time Jesus talks about money and wealth and possessions and materialism, he speaks directly to his disciples. And as you saw, he did it quite a bit. But he always did it so that outside of his disciples, the crowd, they were checking them interested, can overhear. And the reason is this. reason is that Jesus makes it explicit in the Gospels that you cannot come to properly understand Jesus unless you hear what he has to say about money and possessions. And again, not for the reasons that we think, for those of us that have been kind of jaded and maybe cynical with the church and some ministries. Jesus not once asked for money. Do you know that? Jesus not once asked people for money. There's one time when he asked a guy for a coin, but then it was to prove a certain point about paying taxes to Caesar, so on and so forth. And as far as we know, he gave it back. So let nothing that I'm going to say this morning and nothing that Jesus says this morning be interpreted by you as him asking for money. He did. He is going to ask for something. He always is asking for something, but it has nothing to do with money. It's something even more important. Then, Then there's those of us that say we're followers of Jesus. We're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about Sermon on the Mount. And interestingly enough, in Matthew 6, 1, Jesus calls gifts to the poor acts of righteousness. He calls gifts to the poor acts of righteousness. In other words, to Jesus, failing to live generously is not just being stingy, it's being unjust. Let me say it again. Because, and I've talked about this so often that I need you guys to go back and kind of talk a little bit about this first Sunday in November, Homeless Awareness Sunday, Isaiah 58. Hear me clearly. Jesus does not talk about lack of generosity as you being stingy. He says that's unrighteous. It's unjust. And the reason why Jesus used such strong language is because generosity is a way of bringing about the kingdom. How so? We saw in Isaiah 58. If you have been given more resources, and let's face it, A lot of us in this congregation have been given a lot more resources than others. What Jesus wants you to do and wants me to do is to invest that, to plow that back into human community in places of greatest brokenness and neediness because when we do that, the Bible says the result is shalom or wholeness, healing and restoration for all other human community. So we are called to be just or righteous people. That bring about shalom in a world that's torn apart by greed, idolatry, materialism. But, everybody say but. But, in order for us to be just when it comes to materialism, what Jesus says here is the most important thing to know. What does he say? We're in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 19 is where we pick it up. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This verse is incredibly important, and I want to give you a simple translation of what Jesus says here because we're going to pick it back up later. Jesus is literally saying, don't treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly treasure." Don't treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly treasure. And then he goes on, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your what? Say it with me, your what? Your heart will be also. And Jesus is telling us the most important thing about money, and that's this. He says money, at the end of the day, is really about what your heart most desires. 
Jesus' money is at the end of the day really about where your hopes ultimately lie. Jesus said money is ultimately about where you, it doesn't matter what you say, but where you ultimately place and find your security. Money is not just money. Matter of fact, he goes on, he says the strongest thing possible. He says you could either serve God or what? Serve money. He doesn't say serve God or serve Satan. or He says you could either serve God or serve money. Why? Because money at the end of the day is like this with what your heart ultimately worships, adores, finds hopes and dreams security in. When he used the language of store up, and I haven't seen commentators comment on this, but I thought of another passage in the Old Testament that Jesus might be alluding to. Malachi 3.8. Some of you have heard this passage because you've heard pastors go, tithing, tithing. It's really little to do with tithing. It's really actually about something more profound. Malachi 3.8. Will a, man, will a mere mortal rob God? That's you and me. Will we rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? Verse 9. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The word storehouse in Hebrew literally means treasury. And storehouse was the place in a temple where the wealth, the jewels, the money that people sacrificed and gave were stored. And that was used to support the worship of that particular deity or God. Now, it's not just Jews. Every pagan temple had a treasury where all the jewels, the money was stored. And God, when he says, bring me into my treasury, into my temple, your tithes and offerings. He's saying, if it's not, then it's going to some other temple in some other treasury in worship of some other god. Now, uh, still not kind of resonating. Okay, well, let me show you. Next set of slides, please. This is according to Spending Plus, the economic research. Uh, go before, can you go back? Do you know that we spent $10.7 trillion shopping last year? I can't, I, get, I, I can't even wrap my brain around that. $10.7 trillion shopping. Let's break it down. Conviction time. You ready? Oh, here we go. We spent next uh, $11 billion in engagement in our wedding rings. Next slide, please. Uh, video games, $17 billion. And some of the men in our churches just, just went like did that. Yeah, yeah. And some of the wives are going, that's you! <laughs> I know wives. I know your husbands. I know who they are. Next slide, please. Um, sporting events, we spent $25 billion. Uh, next slide, please. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, that was for, yeah. <laughs> Did anybody really think they were going to stop making Twinkies? I mean, seriously. 
You know, when hostess went up, did anybody go, oh, there goes Twinkies. There's 500 million reasons why Twinkies were going to be back. It's just for fun. Next slide, please. Late fees. This is not paying off your credit card. This is late fees. Late fees is just throwing away. Late fees is taking a lot of cash and burning it. $18 billion in late fees. <laughs> Next, three, almost $400 billion hitting out at restaurants. Next slide, please. Just three more. Home electronics, almost $100 billion. Next slide, please. Home furnishings, almost $90 billion. Next slide. In clothing and apparel, $177 billion. Can, can I just kind of bring this home? Okay. If you find it incredibly difficult to be radically generous, radically generous, and yet find it incredibly easy, incredibly effortless to spend money on clothes and shoes and whatever else, your wardrobe is your real temple, and your personal appearance is the God you worship. Well, I don't spend any money on clothes. Okay. If you find it incredibly difficult, incredibly hard to be radically generous and yet find it incredibly easy to buy stuff to finish your home, your apartment, your condo, to say, look where I live, look at all these nice things, then your apartment, condo, house is your real temple. And you're looking at that to give you significance, identity, and worth rather than to knowledge of God. If you find it incredibly difficult to be radically generous, if you can't remember the last time you actually gave sacrificially to anything, to Philippines uh, uh, victims of typhoon or whatever, if you find it incredibly difficult yet find it effortless, don't even think about going out to eat at really nice restaurants, then you might be worshiping the God of status where being able to eat at certain places with certain people is what gives you identity and significance. Are you hearing me? Where do you, and I know we're in, it's uncanny. I wasn't, you know, we're just preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Here we are in December, second week of December. Where do you effortlessly, easily, without even thinking, spend money? Oh, and then, of course, there's those of us that are like, bunch of pagans. I pack my lunch. I pack my peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day. I've worn these same clothes for 20 years. <laughs> and yet, you are, find it incredibly hard and difficult to be radically generous because you need to save and save and save and save. Your bank account is your temple. And you're looking to that to give you security rather than to the knowledge of God. How many of us can I really 
in this room. And this is a difficulty challenge of preaching in a diverse church, not just racially, ethnically, culturally, socioeconomically. There are some of us in this room truly who have nothing. But for the vast majority of us, what's your real temple and the real treasury? And who are you really worshiping? So we talk a lot about the almighty dollar in this country, but I'm tell- people don't worship money, but money will show you what you worship. Follow the breadcrumbs. Follow the breadcrumbs, and at the end of that, you'll find the wicked witch of the West. <laughs> Jeanette, do I need to tell you that I came to this country when I was 10 years old? Do I need to remind you that I don't know these stories? I mix them up all the time. I mix them up. They're like, you know, 10 stories combined. I was talking to Dan Radakovich. He's like, the frog in the kettle, you mean the lobster in the pot. I'm like, what's the difference? It's the same thing that's being cooked slowly and doesn't know that it's dying. (laughs) You guys, you guys, come on. If you're sitting there and you're going, oh my gosh, $188 billion in late fees. That's stupid. That's dumb. Why would anybody do that? I'll tell you why it's irrational and we do that as rational. Because it's not just money. You use it to fuel the thing that you worship. Common sense goes out the window when it's something that you're looking to go, I find significance, identity, validation in that. So when that's your mentality, you think common sense of, I can't afford it, will factor into the picture? Heck no. Every single one of us, and this is why money and materials are so powerful, we are constantly looking at something to go, validation, identity, significance, meaning in life. And if it's not God, it's something. And whatever that something is, you need money to support the worship of it. So what do you worship? What do I worship? What is it that we ultimately look to? Come on, pay attention to some of your most intense desires. Does money play a role in them? Why do you think money controls us? And if our hearts were captured by the beauty of Christ, if our hearts were captured by the unfailing love Found in the gospel, I guarantee you, we would be able to give radically and generously, but we struggle, not because we're stingy, but because at the end of the day, there's something else that's capturing your heart for beauty and for meaning. Then Jesus goes on, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Which you go, huh? Well, Jesus said it more simply in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 12 when he said, watch out for all kinds of greed. What's he saying? He's saying that greed, and more specifically materialism, which is an inordinate desire and dependence on money, material things, has the effect of blinding you spiritually. Greed and materialism has the effect of blinding you and distorting the way you see things. Okay, let me tell you four real quick ways how it does. One, 
Materialism has the power to blind you to inconsistencies in your life. This initial sermon point was going to be, materialism has the power to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God. Then I thought, no, 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 let's just go there. Let's go there. Let's go in. Real quick. I love the fact that many of us are passionate about issues of social injustice, yes? But it is a little bit, a little bit inconsistent for us. A little bit inconsistent for us to lament about poverty and other social injustices when we uphold the same materialistic values that help drive economic disparities in this country. Can I say that one more time and then we're moving on? It is, okay, I'll say it, hypocritical. And by the way, hypocrite number one, right here. It is hypocritical to lament about social injustices in this country when it is our very same materialistic values and lifestyle that is continuing to reinforce economic disparities between the wealthy and the poor. Let's move on. Secondly, materialism has the power to blind you about materialism. I've told you guys this before. In all my years as pastor, I have never, ever had anyone walk into my office and go, I need to repent. I can't take it anymore. I feel so guilty. Why? Because I'm materialistic. I'm still waiting. Do you know why? Nobody thinks it's their problem. None of us are standing here going, my, that's my problem. It's greed. It's materialism. I am, I ought to be a better father. Nobody thinks it's their, oh, if you kind of do, you know what we do? We immediately think of something who's what? More materialistic. And go, at least I'm not him. At least I'm not her. We immediately go there. We immediately go there. And so nobody thinks they're materialistic. And Jesus is saying, that's the point. It is the power to blind you and distort you. We live in the wealth. 70% of the world's wealth is in the 5% of the people. That's called America. The entire world looks at us and says, do you know how much more you can do if you didn't feel like you need to update your phone? Or have that gadget? And yet what do we do? Sit there and go, I have an iPhone 4. I'm better than you. Because at least I can update my phone to iPhone 5S. Whatever. We compare ourselves, and here's the thing. We live in a city where you will constantly find people who are more greedy and more materialistic than you. Are you and I blinded by great materialism? Are we sitting here going, it's not an issue? Listen, if you're sitting there going, when is this going to be over? Because this is not a problem for me. That is a sign that it is a problem for you. Is there anybody seriously that's sitting here going, I couldn't be more generous? Anybody seriously sitting going, I couldn't simplify my life more? Is there anybody that's seriously sitting going, I couldn't be more radical in my generosity? Is there anybody here that's going, I'm doing just fine, thank you very much? Green materialism, somebody else. Is there anybody? It's like alcoholism. A sign that you struggle with it might be the fact that you're in denial about its effects power on you. By the way, if you're sitting here, I, I do need to speak to you real quick. You're going, sin and greed and materialism, 
it's not really me because I live very simply. And yet, 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 if you're self-righteous about the simplicity of your life and you're judgmental about all those greedy materialistic people, that means you're still in the grips of materialism. Third, materialism has the power to cause you to choose a job, not because you love it or good at it, because it helps you make money. I don't even need to elaborate. Should I just move on? Okay, I'll elaborate just real quick. Why, why are you, why'd you choose that job? Why do you work the hours you do? Who tells you to? Why, why are you, college students, graduate, why, why do you want that career? Uh, what about in the conduct of your job? Can we just talk about the conduct of your job? Because the reality is there are companies, and you just need to just be aware and read, there are companies that are making billions of dollars, but they're ruining towns and cities and environment. Maybe you were, I actually got an email from uh, someone in our church who passed along. One time we talked about this to her son who was working for a company, and here's the thing. The company was involved in some really unethical practices, see, and everybody else in the company looked the other way. Are you in a company that's, you know, dealing in some unethical behavior? Come on, come on, come on, listen to me, listen to me. And, and, and the power of green materialism is just to not ask. You just go, I don't, nope, don't see it, nope, don't care, my, my job. Or are you asking? It's a company I'm working for and the money that I'm making. It, it, are, they, are they really benefiting not just the corporation and the bottom line dollars, but the community, the city, the neighborhood they're in? By the way, this, let me finish. Uh, materialism keeps you from, then, the fourth is, from asking hard questions about your lifestyle. I, I've shared this with you guys before. I, I'll be sitting at a coffee shop, and I'll just kind of meet people over your conversation. In a coffee shop, you have an aspiring writer who's making $15,000 a year, an editor of a book company that's making $50,000, $60,000 a year. Then you have the vice president of the marketing of that book company that's making like six figures, so on and so forth. And they're all sitting within a 20-foot radius. In other words, regardless of your profession, you will always find yourself in friends, social circles with people that are doing way better than you. Question for you. Do you compare yourself to them? Or do you compare yourself to people that are at your economic level or choosing to live more simply? I just saw uh, over Thanksgiving had some people over and uh, a young guy who's a, a resident an ER resident, and he and his wife have one child, and he was telling me that they're leaving Chicago to go to Portland, and I said, wow, why? And here's what he said. He said, I'm sick and tired of the rat race. He said, I'm sick and tired of the rat race, Peter, of being in a city like Chicago where every day I am reminded and bombarded by people of what a doctor's lifestyle, what a materialist. He said, I am so sick and tired of it that the only solution I found is just to leave this toxic environment and go to a place that's simpler. To which I wanted to go, well, <laughs> but then I didn't. You know, I didn't know him as well. And people already tell me I preached too much anyways. I was like, <laughs> but then I thought about a lot of you and the conversations that I've had. See, to me, the easy thing to do is just leave. But it's not necessarily about the environment. It's here, isn't it? It's here. It's what's going on here. 
Are you, are you feeling the pressure to keep up with the Joneses and your coworkers so that your lifestyle, listen, goes from here, make more money, goes to here, and then it goes to here, and then it goes to here, and before you know it, you look back and go, wow. I sat across 33-year-olds who said, the lifestyle that I'm living now, if you would ask me 10 years ago, I would have said, that's never going to be me. We don't just go $40,000. Oh, man, 40, what would I would do for $40,000? And when we get there, go, I'm good for the rest of my life. We go, 60, 80, it's 80, 90. That's you. That's me. Are you hearing me? Church, are you hearing me? Are you asking, do I really need to spend money on this? Are you really asking, can you look under? Christmas, where is it? Where is it? There it is. I like the Christmas tree. Um, what's going on under your tree? And I'm, I just, look, all of us, all of us ask, do I need to spend as much money on this? Do I need to spend that much money on that? Is there a way that I can give more to the poor, to friends, neighbors who are in need. Is there a way that I can give more if I just change a little bit of this and change a little bit of that? And listen, if the Bible says we're blinded and if the Bible says we're never asking questions, you and I cannot decide on our own. What you need is a group of people that you've given permission to to go, ask me what I'm spending for Christmas. Ask me how much I'm going to spend on these gifts. Ask me what I spend weekly eating out. Ask, do you have people like that in your life? Let me throw up some questions. Do I have resources and use them to maintain and pursue a lifestyle that is at the upper limits of what I can afford? Next slide. Do I let fear of losing my lifestyle keep me from being more generous? Next. Do I compare myself primarily with those who have either the same or greater standard of living than me? And lastly, do I ever consider how I can simplify my lifestyle to free up resources to invest in the kingdom? How are you doing? How am I doing? And I'm just saying, if we are truly going to be about justice, you can't divorce the, how does my lifestyle contribute to the injustices, especially economically in this country, as the gap between the wealthy and poor are growing larger than ever. You can't divorce it. Isn't it every day small decisions? Every day, small decisions we make. It's really quiet in here. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's not just money. It masters you. It controls me. Then, then Jesus seemingly goes off topic. And you, some of you know your Bible, and so you know where I'm going. He seemingly goes off topic about money and greed and materialism. He's just talking about what? Do you remember? Worry, anxiety. And you're going, okay, he's done talking about money and materialism, and he's talking about worry and anxiety. Different topic? No, no, no. It's the same. And we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to read you an email because I thought I get hundreds of these kinds of emails during the course of a year because they get to the sole core issue that Jesus is addressing. Pastor Peter, I'm writing because I have a prayer request. First, the good news. I'm pregnant. We sort of decided to stop not trying 
and to instead put it in God's hands and he'd answer us really quickly. We're both very excited, although well aware that it's early and a lot of stuff can still happen. One of the things I'm struggling with is not discussing my pregnancy. I get this taboo to openly announce one's pregnancy until the risky part is over in case one should end up miscarrying or something goes wrong. But it feels like I'm going through this relatively alone without much support. Well, relatively, because I've got an amazing supportive husband, but I've told very few of my friends. I sort of get the reasons for staying quiet, but then again, I don't. So that's why I'm actually writing you with this news to share excitement and anxieties about being pregnant and to have someone pr help pray for me and our future child. Our number one prayer is that pregnancy progress without complication and that we have a healthy child. My other is more personal. Pay attention. One of my sins or struggles in life is I want to play God. Anybody say And wanting to control everything in life. Anybody? I know all of you are going, I can't relate to that at all. I like to say I've made progress in this area, but this pregnancy is bringing to light that I really haven't. With pregnancy comes a loss of control of your body, fatigue, nausea, weight gain, emotions, athletic ability, Thought, hmm, that's new. I've never, athletic, I've never thought about that, but sure, why not? <laughs> and I'm really struggling with this. And then it goes, I know what I'm going through is normal, but it drives me nuts. So basically, I get frustrated with the changes and loss of control. And then I get mad at myself or being mad at myself over something that is representative of such a beautiful process and a gift from God, having a child. It's a catch-22, and my poor husband is bearing the brunt of my new out-of-control emotions. So I guess, pray that I learn to surrender control to God throughout this pregnancy process and afterwards as well and pray that he heal whatever is underlying my need for control, whether it be fear, anxiety, insecurities, pride, or all of the above. Which I thought, this woman has unbelievable wisdom and insight. And Jesus says, this is your problem. This is my problem. Listen to what he says. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, what? Do not, say it with me, what? Do not be anxious about your life. Now, can I ask you something? Quick question. Who wants to be anxious? Nobody wants to be anxious. I don't know a single person that gets up in the morning and goes, I can't wait to be anxious today. And yet Jesus says, don't be anxious. Thank you. Okay. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not like more than food and body more than clothing. And in these days, food and clothing is not what you and I think of. These are essential, critical things in life. Today, it's like Jesus coming and going, hey, don't worry about your job. What? Hey, don't worry about your pregnancy. What? Hey, don't worry about future of your kids. Hey, don't worry about your future for own kids. Hey, don't, he's saying don't worry about these things like rent and mortgage. And three times, verse 25, 31, 34, Jesus repeats that. Don't be anxious. And Jesus isn't commanding you and me like some insensitive, like, do you not care? He is doing spiritual surgery. He's going deep. 
And he gets to the root source of our anxiety and worry, and he tells us exactly what we can do about it. And I beg of you, I beg of you, I beg of you, will you please, I know you already pay attention, but listen for the next five, seven minutes to what I want to share with you in this. Because to me, this is one of those like at the core foundational, like this is the reason why it ails everything that we do. Jesus three times to not be anxious about, and the last of these commands is found in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about what? Say it with me, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Jesus in this verse 34 lays bare what anxiety is when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Question, what is tomorrow? Tomorrow is something that you can't, what? Control! Tomorrow is something that you and I have absolutely no control over. We can't control the weather. We can't control the CTA. Can anybody say Ventra? Hello? We can't control what happens tomorrow. You can't control whether your kids get sick. You can't control if their pregnancy will wind up healthy. You can't control what happens to the job market. We have no control over tomorrow. And yet we're anxious. Why? Because we want to control. Oh, we want to control. The essence of anxiety and worry ultimately is the will, the desire, the need, the obsession for some of us to control that which we have absolutely no control over. And if that's what anxiety is, where does it come from? Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more valuable than they are? Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can what? Next word. Next word what? Add a single hour to his life of span. Question, how many of us has the power to add one more hour to our lives? Jesus, why are you trying to be like God? Who alone has power to add one more life to your life? Church, who has the power to add one more life to your life? You? Me? God, Jesus, spiritual surgery. You're anxious to need obsession control. Why do you do that? Because you want the power that God has, the power to add. Another hour to your life. I'll just speak plainly. Jesus is saying, why are you trying to be like God? You can't control the job market any more than you could add one more hour to your life. Um, <clears throat> you can't <clears throat> you can't control who you marry and when you marry any more than you can add one more hour to your life. 
You and I can't control our pregnancy. Sorry, I. You can't control your pregnancy. You and I can't control our pregnancy. Okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. There are days when I sit and go, I wonder if our kids will always be healthy. I get anxious and worried and anxious and worried. And then I'm reminded, Peter, do you have any control on whether your kids get sick? You have power to keep them healthy? Why are you trying to play God? I sent this email to a handful of people. Two weeks ago, I woke up on a Tuesday morning at 5 with a debilitating headache. I never get headaches. Had a headache Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Went to go see the doctor. You need to know many of you, that I'm married to a physician, but I'm also, is it a hypochondriac somebody worries about? Is that what it's called? Help me out. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, you know what I'm thinking immediately? I'm going, I'm, 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 I'm having a stroke. <laughs> like, that's me. Okay, that's me. I, I, I don't want to make light of it. I'm being dead serious. I'm going, some vessel's going to pop, and I'm going to have a stroke, and I'm going to die at the age of 43. Like, I'm all of these things. I'm sitting in my doctor's office. He comes in, hey, Peter, hey, doc. You know, I have these massive headaches. I don't know, no, no, no. So, okay, let's check you out, blah, blah, blah. He checks me out, and then he walks out because doctors walk out randomly for no reason for like 10 minutes and then comes back. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have no idea what that is. I'm like, am I at a car dealership purchasing a car, or am I at a... Anyway, so he walks out, and he goes, <laughs> and here's the thing. I, and when he walked out, when he walked out, uh, there was this feeling of terror. It was like, oh, what, what if, what if? And you know what, I re- in that moment, the only thing that's happened in that moment was an illusion that I like to live in was popped. You know what the illusion is? That I actually think I'm in control. The, the, the fear of bad news coming, you know what that is? All that is is reminder, reminder, you're not in control. You've never been in control. You're always vulnerable. What the heck are you thinking? That's all that happened. How many of us are living under the illusion that we're in control, that we're in charge? And so what do we do? We try and control our lives, and then we feel more insecure because we can't. And the more insecure we feel, what do we do? Try and control our lives. And the vicious cycle of insecurity, anxiety, and fear, on and on and on. If you're anxious and worried today, you know what Jesus says? The more we disbelieve and dislike, let me say it again, the more that we disbelieve and dislike the fact that we're totally dependent on God for everything, the more anxious we will be. And can I just say one more thing? I've seen very few people, handful of people who never struggle with this. Do you know who they are? I know who they are. They're people who crashed and burned, whether it be through alcohol, substance abuse, blew up their marriage, something. And literally these are people who came to the end of themselves and goes, I am completely and totally incompetent to run my own life. Those people, those people, when they get to that place, they don't really struggle with anxiety anymore. But for a lot of us who's lived a charmed life, what does Jesus do? Let's finish here. Jesus doesn't say stop it. He tells you what to do. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? And then he says, say the next word with me. Ready? Say with me, what, what does it say? He says what? Consider. Again and again throughout this passage, we're going to see, he says, consider, consider, consider. Some of our Bible translations says, look at or see. And that's not nearly as good because what the word literally means is ponder. Peter, ponder it. Peter, think on it. 
And Jesus says, if you're, not, if you're anxious, he's saying you're not thinking, you're not pondering. Let me put it this way. What is faith? What is faith? Is faith for someone's absence of thinking. Just believe. Just believe. God's in control. Just believe. Don't, don't think about it. That's not what faith is. Jesus' faith is thinking. Faith is pondering. Faith is looking at the facts of who God is and what he has done and thinking about it and pondering about it. Put another way, real practically, faith is talking to your heart instead of listening to your heart. Faith is talking to your heart instead of listening to your heart. Can I show you what that's like? Look at the Bible. Read the Psalms. What is David doing when he says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise his holy name. What's he doing? He's talking to his heart. Praise his holy name. My inmost being, praise him. What's he doing? He's talking to his heart. Forget not his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your disease. What is he doing? He is talking to his heart. We stink at it. We are phenomenal at listening to our hearts. And when we're anxious and worried, our hearts talk nonsense. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, Carlton? If you're worried about finances, our hearts go, the job market is volatile. It's terrible. What if I lose my job? I can't afford to lose my job. I'm not even saving right now. I've never been good at giving money to the church. How can I expect God to watch me, protect me if I'm not giving it to church? I feel terrible. I have to do something to make myself feel better. I think I'll go shopping. That's what we do. You're alone at night and you're going, oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's going to be terrible. Your heart is just saying, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. What if that happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? And your heart is speaking lies and nonsense to you. And you're going, amen to that. Amen to that. Faith is talking to your heart and saying, consider, think, ponder. Peter, talk to your heart. Talk to your soul. Ponder and think on who God is. Look what Jesus says. Oh, And if you go, what do, I, what do I say to my heart, Peter? These next verses, memorize it. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Say this with me, church. My heavenly Father. Come on, say it with me. My heavenly Father knows what I need. My heavenly knows what I need. My heavenly Father knows what I need. Soul, heart, ponder, think. You know that He knows your needs. You know that He knows the number of hair on your head. You know that he knows how many tears have come down your cheek. You know that he knows that if he didn't spare his one and only son, then how much more? 
heart, soul, you know, you know that even though you're evil and sinful and self-centered and self-adored as a human parent, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father take care of you? My heavenly Father, heart, soul, knows what I need. My heavenly Father, heart, soul, knows what I need. And when you realize that, anxiety and worry is a daily text to God going, God, you emptied all of heaven for me by sending your son. And he went to the cross died for me. But you know what? I don't think you know how to arrange my week. Send. Say with me, my heavenly father knows what I need. What does it have to do with money? Everything. Because think about it for most of us. Most of us, it's not, I use money to feel important and significant. Some of us do. For, for most of us, what is at the root of why we're not radically generous? It's because what? We're scared. We're worried. We're insecure. Why? Because we want to be in control. And one of the ways we try and be in control is by what? It's finances. Money. Saving. So we what if? Well, what if I lose my job? What if I get fired? What if I get demoted? What if my parents don't send a check? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Another way, control, 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 control. And Jesus says, but these break in and steal. You can't control car accidents. You can't control cancer. You can't control divorce. You can't control your life. Christians love to say, money can't buy you happiness. Amen. Money can't buy you happiness. Money can't buy you security either. It never will. Verse 33. We're almost done. Carlton, please come on up. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The word seek is the word zeteo, which literally means, actually, as you guys know, to desire to worship. Desire to worship. And what Jesus is saying is so plainly clear. He's saying, you are wired, you're hardwired to seek for something. You're hardwired to worship something. You're hardwired to give your life. You're hardwired to serve something. And Jesus says, if not God, it's going to be something else. Another way of saying this is no testament. First commandment. Have no other gods before me. Why? It's not that you will not worship any God. If you're not worshiping the God of the Bible, you're going to worship some other God. You're going to seek first something. You're going to worship something. Something is going to capture your heart. Why is that important? You can't just say no. I'm not going to go out anymore. You can't just say no. I'm not going shopping anymore. You can't just say no. I'm not going to be seeing you anymore. You have to find something to say yes to. You have to find something that is so overriding, overwhelming, so much more powerful that you're not just saying no, 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 no. You're saying yes to something so much more greater, beautiful, worthy that all the other, all the other values and priorities get reordered. 
Seeking first, Jesus says, is the key. Not just saying, no, no, no. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And what is that? Is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus told us in verse 19 when he says, don't treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly treasures. This is Christmas, yeah? Do you ever wonder why Jesus came? Can I break this down for you and why Jesus came? Because to me, I'm hoping that the season of Advent, this will really hit. Every single one of us in this room, I don't even know your story. You have something you treasure. You have something that you find beauty in. You have something that if you look at it and go, if I have that, I have everything. If I have that, everything will be worth it. Every single one of us has something. It could be money, career. It's something. You look at it and go, that's my treasure. And here's the thing. We will die for that treasure. And here's the other thing. Sobering truth. Every other treasure on earth will demand that you give everything to procure it. If you live for your job, your job will devour you. Your job will devour you. You live for people's approval. <sighs> Every single one of us has treasure. Do you ever wonder why Jesus came for you? Because you and I were his what? Say it. His what? His treasure. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You and I are God's treasure possession. And here's the amazing thing about the gospel. Every other treasure on earth says, you die to procure me. You die to get me. You die and sacrifice everything for me. Jesus is the only treasure that comes and says, what? I will die for you. I will sacrifice for you. I will give everything for you. Do you know why Jesus came to heaven from heaven to earth? Took on flesh and bone. Why this Advent season you need to just melt with this truth? It's because he looks at you and me go, if I have him or her, everything will be worth it. Even going to hell would be worth it. Jesus looked at you and said, even going to hell would be worth it for him and for her. And if you want to be free from materialism and greed, let that truth that he is the treasure of your heart capture you in such a way that you go, why in the world would I spend money on that, on that, on that, on that? Why would I spend my entire life trying to procure that and that and that and that when you, Jesus, are my ultimate treasure? Is that what he means to you? Is that what he means to me? Is that what he means to us? In this season of heaven, as we celebrate his coming. This morning, I wanted to, I wanted to just quickly have a, a moment to pray for those of us that for many reasons are filled with anxiety and worry and maybe even despair that what we just talked about and the truth found in Matthew 6 would penetrate through the defenses the barriers God I, I lift up right now I lift up right now 
anybody who is sitting here today and is racked with anxiety and worry. Anybody here today who's fearing loss of control, who's, who's fearing the future, maybe even the present. We pray this for them. Consider. Ponder. Think. Speak to your soul. And that you would enable the beauty of the cross and the beauty. Oh, the beauty. Oh, the beauty of your sacrifice. Because you considered us your treasure.